Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is College and Kimball. I'm your host, Jeff Burkhart, getting set to bring you your midweek opponent preview. Of course, Farmageddon 2021 is upon us. We're just days away from kickoff at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. The Wildcats will be playing host to Iowa State this year. Kansas State, of course, looking to avoid an 0-3 start in Big 12 play, while also simultaneously hoping to avenge a humiliating performance in Ames in this game last year. The Wildcats, of course, were hammered by Iowa State 45 to nothing in that contest. That game certainly an albatross in recent history. Kansas State has taken 25 of the last 30 meetings in this series. And here to help me break it down and provide the Iowa State perspective is Rob Gray. He is a senior writer for Cyclone Fanatic. And Rob, let's go ahead and dive into this. We'll start high level. And you can't talk about Iowa State without talking about Matt Campbell, the the turnaround job that he has performed in such a short period of time has been nothing short of astonishing. Uh, Iowa State was in a, a spiral with Paul Rhodes where we were seeing two wins, three wins, three wins. It, they, the program was just not in a good way. Enter Matt Campbell from Toledo in 2016. He does take it on the chin in his first year as head coach of Iowa State, but has been really rock solid since then has taken the clones to bowls in each of the last four seasons. Iowa state certainly will be in the postseason again this year. Now with all that being said, with the dire predicament that that program was in looking back to the Paul Rhodes regime where Matt Campbell has taken it in the last few years, there's that question that I'm sure you've been asked countless times and I'm going to go ahead and lobby a softball here probably in that regard. What is the the pulse of the Iowa State fan base in terms of will Matt Campbell be retained? Can he stay or will he stay rather in Ames for the next 15 to 20 years? Or is there still a fair amount of trepidation in him leaving the program if a bigger offer comes? I think for some parts of the fan base, it's it's always um, a fear that they have. Um I think Campbell has shown that you can win at an elite level at Iowa State, you know, not the elite of the elite. They're not in the college playoff and all that, but they've been in the standings an awful lot in the past, <coughs> excuse me, four seasons. You know, it, it he's made it an appealing job, which has never been the case. I mean, he said himself when they came in that Iowa State was a, quote, laughing stock, and they really had become that again, and they'd been used to that a lot in the past, but they'd had three wins, three wins, two wins, two wins. You know, if you take the pre- his first season and the previous three at the, the end of the Paul Rhodes era. But I think one thing that helped Campbell get started a little bit quicker is Rhodes had brought the program up in terms of facilities. He built enthusiasm in the program, sell out crowds, even when they are really struggling. And even for an ice bowl game, they have the Kansas one year and, and, so that had been there. It's one of the things he impressed Campbell when he came uh, as Toledo's coach. That here's a program that's really kind of on a downturn. And look at these people at the tailgate lots. I mean, there's enthusiasm around it. People are proud to be affiliated with it. And I think it's similar to Kansas State in a way because there's a small town feel. And, of course, they're big ag universities, among many other things, but the whole Farmageddon thing. I think I think one of the reasons it's so rancorous is 
uh, and you you might not think it's that rancorous, but it seems like the fan bases chirp at each other quite a bit is because there's so many similarities. Obviously, Kansas State's had a lot more success since Snyder took over and less downtime than Iowa State has. But I think there's a lot of begrudging, maybe mutual respect among the fan bases and, and overlap. And uh, uh, we don't always see that, but uh, I don't know. It, it's always an intriguing matchup and always a difficult matchup because of what Snyder has instilled in the program, you know, that we're going to make you beat yourself. We're going to be great on special teams. Um, you know, th- that's exactly like you said, what Coach Campbell wants to do at Iowa State. And unfortunately, they're not quite there yet, but they've certainly brought the talent level up to the point where yeah, they can go in a, win a Fiesta Bowl last season, first ever New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl appearance. And. You know, it just seems like despite two losses early in the season, they can point to, yeah, certainly beating themselves uh, with no discredit to the teams that beat them, uh, Iowa and Baylor at the same time. So long-winded answer, but it's always it's just always a fun matchup with with uh, with K-State. And I an Iowa connection there with Coach Kleinman as well. You talked about Campbell elevating just the overall level of talent at the program, and you'd be foolish not to acknowledge how quickly Iowa State has ascended in that regard and to kind of take a couple steps back and look at that talent and what it did prior you talked about winning the Fiesta Bowl last season and seemingly everybody coming back for for this year and while Oklahoma did garner 35 of the 39 first place votes in the preseason Iowa State was pretty much everybody's consensus pick for for second in the Big 12 and I I don't think anybody really felt like there was a a real distinction beyond between those two they they were just very closely matched up and especially with the two outcomes in the games last season I think everybody felt like those two were on fairly level footing but you also touched on it too in that they they've dropped a couple in in games where they arguably outplayed Iowa as well as Baylor. So you got two losses in the ledger already, and you're getting ready to dive really into the meat of the Big 12 schedule. How How is the program handling that? Because it, it's always tough to, to manage that when you come in with such high expectations, and then all of a sudden that margin for error to, to achieve your, your preseason goals, that becomes zero if you want to make the Big 12 title game. Yeah, I mean, Coach Campbell always talks about how the margin of error is always going to be razor thin at Iowa State. Sometimes it seems like they 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 manufacture that uh, scenario. I mean, the Iowa game, Iowa's a fine football team, obviously number two in the country for good reason, very opportunistic. Their defense seems to have scored about eight touchdowns a season. And I don't think, you know, they're they're. They do the th- things that, that K-State likes to do, and Iowa State's trying to learn to do yet again, make teams beat themselves. And they certainly made Iowa State do that, four turnovers. Iowa didn't turn it over in against Iowa State for the fifth straight time that they've played, which is just mind-boggling to think you could do that in a series. But uh, they played with precision, and Iowa State did not. And that's been the bugaboo for this team. You know, and then the Baylor game, they, you know, they turn it over early. They give up the special teams touchdown as they're climbing all the way back and taking control of the game. And then a bad punt leads to the game-winning field goal, what turned what proved to be the game-winning field goal for Baylor since the Cyclones uh, had to go for two. Um, the end, they just, when they lose, they can't seem to get out of their own way. But at the same time, they put to, it, it, they're never out of it. So Coach Campbell has said repeatedly that, uh, quote, 
we've been here before, unquote. Uh, they never, in part because they've lost to Iowa every time they've played in the Campbell era. And I think dating back even to the previous season, they have been there before with at least one loss and often with two losses at this point in the season. And what they tend to do is really play strong football in October and carry that over in November and, you know, get to you know, some of the Big 12's top bowl games and then last season breaking through to the to the Fiesta Bowl. But, you know, they can't continue to do those things. You can't. And and Kansas State has been Iowa State's kryptonite at times. I mean, wins have been last year's game was clearly an aberration. I mean, you know better than I would, but injuries, COVID, I know you're down a lot of starters on defense, as I recall, and sure the Cyclones thumped the Wildcats, but usually it's either the other way around or these are tight, weird games. Uh, you know, go back the year before where the Cyclones seemed to be riding high, but seemed like they were actually running out of gas a little bit and really played poorly while K-State played well uh, in that cold, windy uh, night uh, there in Manhattan. So, again, they've been here before, so they don't panic in this situation. But, again, as you said, this was the year where they thought, okay, maybe we make a run at the playoff based on how close they were, I mean, last season. And, as you said, so many seniors coming back as starters. And so, but they're, you know, they're they're a no-panic team. And I'm sure that's the same uh, at Kansas State there after you've had a couple of tough uh, Big 12 losses. Yeah, fans in Manhattan probably a little bit more anxious uh, going into this one. Uh, as far as who the pressure is on this week, you can make, again, very compelling cases for both sides of the coin there, where, again, we talked about Iowa State, again, having that preseason dark horse playoff contender expectation. Then all of a sudden, if you drop this one, you're one and two in the Big 12 and and need a lot of help if you want to have a chance to make it to Arlington to play for the Big 12 title. And on the flip side, Kansas State, if you go to 0-3, any aspirations you had of making noise in this conference are pretty much out the window, and then you start actually having to worry about whether or not your team's going to have enough motivation to to make a bowl game. It's, there's, it's, it is an, it's an anxiety bowl for sure this Saturday. <laughs> and I did want to, <laughs> I did want to circle back to, uh, the point that you brought up about not being able to get out of their own way and K-State fans, you, you talk about how we, you know, our, our fans chirp on Twitter a lot and whatnot. And it's, it's become very comical to watch that. And, and one of the targets for, for K-State fans has always seemingly been Brock Purdy, which for the life of me, I, I cannot understand. He, he is more, he's certainly above average as far as big 12 quarterbacks yes. go. He's hitting 70 almost 72 percent of his throws this year his yards per attempt is up compared to last year I mean he's he has really been off to an exceptional start but again you talk about the bugaboos uh, in terms of the turnovers and having a you know TD to INTs eight to four so you know he, he lets lets a couple of throws get away from him but have you been able or, or has anybody really been able to point any kind of rhyme or reason like when those bad games comes because you've looked at his game log and you just see two touchdowns no picks hit 80 percent or hit 72 percent of his throws three touchdowns no picks hit 68 percent and then he just has that four int only hits 52 percent of his passes like has there been any continuity there in terms of when you notice those happening uh, yeah, it seems like when they come, they snowball. Uh, as you said, I mean, here's a prime example. Last season, I think um, the Baylor game, some people might forget, but the Cyclones played just a horrendous first half and were fortunate to only be down. I think it was 
24-10, but he threw three interceptions in the first half. He came back in the second half and threw three touchdown passes. The Cyclones escaped with the win. And I think the rest of the season is is touchdown interception ratio all combined with something like 11 to 2, 12 to 2, something like that. So so the good news is, well, the bad news is when when mistakes come and, and bad luck sometimes, it's a tipped pass. You know, an offensive lineman play a role in that. You got to keep guys' hands down. and Or a dropped pass, frequently it goes into the opponent's uh, breadbasket, sometimes into the end zone, but, you know, just inopportune times. So the bad news is they tend to come in bunches for Brock Purdy. The good news is when, after that happens, he tends to have a uh, remarkable uh, response in terms of efficiency and explosiveness. So he's been, you know, he's by far the winningest program and uh, sorry, quarterback in program history. Um, I think he personifies the rise of this program, um, but he also personifies the the flaws that are still evident. I mean, Coach Campbell preaches attention to detail and it's in those detail areas where the cyclones can usually point to the reasons they they don't get the result that they want so uh interesting guys a dynamic guy but again there is there really is no rhyme or reason to it except for the pattern seems to be it happens in a clump and then it gets smoothed out after that um <clears throat> which it seems to me in the process of doing that um at this point but but we'll see again this is always a tough matchup for the cyclones and and as you said anxiety and you know obviously a little bit of grousing with both fan bases too thinking should have a better record respectively than they do at this point uh so it'll be interesting to see how you know both from you know coach Campbell. on a side note really had a lot of praise for skylar thompson um he said just so tough and it's kind of like a just a football player you know and if you've been around coach campbell he just loves um you know he says what he wants at iowa state is what he identifies first as people who love to play football i think he sees that in skylar thompson i know he's been sometimes up and down but he can be really dynamic and has been in at least two of the three games he's played against iowa state so a lot of interesting you know purdy versus thompson you know coach haycox defense versus K-State's off, I mean, and can Iowa State, which rarely happens, keep K-State from a punt or kick return or both for touchdown in the, this game? And that's always one of the big storylines. So a lot of intrigue and, as you said, anxiety, I think, on both sides uh, of this uh, rivalry game. The Purdy-Thompson matchup is very compelling. Another one of those, too, that's that's probably not getting the same amount of attention that it got. I remember... I remember seeing Pro Football Focus put out their their top running backs, you know, prior to the season beginning, and Brees Hall was noticeably absent from that list. Uh, he just went over 3,000 yards with his effort against Kansas last, uh, not this past Saturday, the one prior. Uh, he he finished sixth in the Heisman voting in 20. I mean, he's just been wreaking havoc on the Big 12 for what will be three years now. I got to ask, do you, do you foresee him coming back next season for the clones or is he heading off to the NFL? Well, I think it all depends on what kind of feedback he gets. Um, really dynamic when he's healthy. I, I don't know how much, you know, how closely, you know, you follow Iowa State from there, but he got banged up late in fall camp and I think it affected him. Well, Coach Campbell said it did affect him in the first few games and he's getting closer to 100%. 
I think we saw that in a really dominant performance in the Baylor loss. I think 190 yards rushing, I think 40 to 50 yards in the passing game. And again, solid effort against KU. Take that for, for what it's worth at this point. As Lance Leopold tries to rebuild the, the mighty task of rebuilding uh, the Jayhawks program. But, uh, you know, he's if he's if he's set a benchmark of, hey, I want to be this round or better. And obviously there's money that comes along with all those things. And there's guarantees if you're early enough. Um, I think it would be in his best interest to to go um, and he'll do what's in his best interest. Um, but, you know, with the slow start, I know he loves playing for this cyclone program. You know, Charlie Kohler, the tight end, could have gone after last season. He also got banged up late in fall camp and is working his way toward 100%. You know, the All-American and just a guy who's really produced for the Cyclones for, you know, two and a half seasons. So in this this season, producing fairly well, despite not being fully healthy. So I my gut would say, basically, if, if it looks like he's going to hit the, the round and up uh, that he desires, he would go. But um Again, he loves he loves playing for the the program. So there there's a chance he might say, "Well, I can elevate myself even more. You know, maybe I can get myself into that top tier instead of the, you know, kind of top tier." But uh, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, and and again, dovetails into a great matchup. We got Deuce Vaughn over there, very dynamic running back, and and who can I guess uh, put up the biggest numbers on Saturday night is is going to. Go a long way toward telling what the outcome is going to be. And these two defenses, at least statistically, I know we're still in the the early odds here, but two of the better run defenses in the conference, I believe, K State and Iowa State are are first and third, respectively, in in yards allowed per game. But again, some of those numbers a little inflated by by competition and whatnot. But that's again going to be another great storyline to keep an eye on: is who outduels who now. Uh, I did want to touch a couple more things offensively. You talked about Charlie Kohler and and also, you know, Chase Allen, another great uh, tight end for Iowa State. Uh, what is it about those two that ha- have caused, have given them the ability to just kind of wreck defenses? I mean, they've had huge impact as far as tight ends go, and we really don't see them utilized as much really across anywhere else in the Big 12 as we do at Iowa State. What, what's Campbell doing offensively to scheme those guys open the way that he has been? Well, it, it's interesting because as um, when they first got there, they didn't have a scholarship tight end in the in the room. And they talked about how they just had to play you know, zero personnel almost all the time. You, you couldn't put them on the field. And then last season you had Dylan Sainer too, who ended up in the NFL. I believe he's with the Saints. Um, uh, just a bruising runner, more athletic than he looks. Uh, a blocker, caught passes for him, uh, and then you had Charlie Kohler scoring his seven touchdowns, and he can stretch the field as a tight end, which it's becoming more common, you know, especially in the NFL and and in college. But but he's he's got a really really strong connection with Purdy, and he has converted dozens of big third downs for them or. And many, you know, very efficient in the sense that it's either a third down conversion or or it's a first down pass or, or a touchdown with Charlie Kohler, seven touchdowns each of the past two seasons, a couple so far this season. And Chase Allen just been banged up a lot. But, you know, first year he, he really played 
I believe he's all conference because he blocked so well. And I mean, a coach's son um, just knows how to play football, loves, loves it. And really had, had his best game statistics wise a few games back, I think 10 catches nearly a hundred yards. So, but you get that kind of threat. I don't know if there's any special sauce other than the fact that they made it a priority in part because it was such a deficiency when they took over the program and uh, they have, they've turned it into a real strength. Whereas last season you were seeing, you know, three tight ends out on the field. Sometimes I think they feel, although it hasn't necessarily shown in terms of consistency that they, the receiving core has the ability to do it a little bit more. So you're seeing more 11, 12 um, out there, but you know, those two guys, uh, as you said, I mean, just, uh, you know, pillars uh, of the program, not only in terms of production, but in terms of doing things the way that, uh, that Campbell wants things done. And there's a there's a pretty big cross section of Kansas State and Kansas City Chiefs fans. So we're fortunate enough to see Travis Kelsey week after yeah. week. And I and I well, I kind of, you know, maybe not one for one here, but the way the way the Charlie Kohler in particular plays, there's just a lot of parallels there, at least in my mind. So, you know, he's an exceptional tight end who's definitely going to get a shot to play on Sunday. No doubt about that. Now, we've obviously spent a fair amount of time on offense. I wanted to look on the defensive side now, and I think this is the the side of the ball that really goes horribly um, unnoticed and underappreciated for for how good they have been under John Heacock. For and he's one of those guys came over with Campbell immediately following the uh, the move to from Toledo, and, and Iowa State has just been rock solid across the board defensively. I mean, really going back to. 2017 like it, it this is not just a, a flash in the pan this is absolutely a trend and I, I guess from from the Iowa State perspective w- when you guys watch them play what is it that you, you marvel at most in terms of how they attack teams with their defense I think it, it, and a very good description of what coach Haycock's been able to do there obviously he innovated with that three three five stack that teams were coming in to try to imitate, and you see it spread a little bit more. But it what that that came because they were not getting things done right. And I think the strength of Coach Haycock being around the game so long, being a head coach before at Youngstown, just being in the game for a long time, having a lot of success, and being humbled. You know, you you get you get a lot of good and a lot of bad in a long career as a, as a college football coach, and he's got no ego, so he. he even though we jokingly call him the professor around here just because of a adjustments, it's often uncanny. Sometimes in the first half, whatever the other opposing offensive coordinator came up with as a game plan, that's really been working well up till halftime. They make adjustments and say they gave up 140 yards of rushing in the first half, they give up negative seven in the second. And so I think his ability to adapt and innovate um, and get good players. I mean, he'll say the first thing Coach Haycock will always say all the credit goes to the players because you can scheme all you want, but guys have to care enough to to know that you need to practice well to play well in games and 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 lift each other up and challenge each other when you have to compete against each other for playing time. And I think that's just seeing. And I think also at Iowa State before the Campbell era. They could not build any depth on the defensive line and really on defense in general. So while they might have had a few standout guys 
maybe at the end, maybe one of the linebacker spots, a safety, a corner. There was a huge drop off if those guys got hurt. And that's going to happen in college football. Now they've got real confidence in the two deep, even if a quote unquote star player goes down, that the guy coming in behind them is going to play at the same level. Uh, there was an example of a couple of years ago where their, you know, sax leader, Jaquan Bailey, got hurt and had to, had to miss the season, medical redshirt. And Zach Peterson, who's one of their top performers now at, at, at DN on the D-line, um, came in and Coach Campbell said he played as well or better than Jaquan Bailey had been playing. And Bailey had been playing at a, you know, program best sort of clip. So that's what I think they built. And, and I, again, Haycock will say it makes his job easier because, you know, you, you, you don't have to fear a drop-off. You know, you're seeing it in two deep, sometimes even in three deep at spots, that, that there's quality there. And, uh, but, the, but, the, but there's no doubt that, you know, his flexibility and his experience guide that whole thing. Um, and it has been remarkable to see because, as I said, they've never had depth at, really on both sides of the ball, but um, but uh, especially on defense. And I think that's a, a big driving factor as well. And I'm sure he's thrilled to have the services of a guy that I, I wanted to ask about, Mike Rose, who uh, I'm pretty sure he's been around there since Dan McCarney was coach. But uh, he's been there for a long time, has had a lot of snaps, was Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year last season, and is obviously going to be a contender this year as well. Um, where where do you feel he's had the most significant impact? And I, I only ask that because by the time – a player of his caliber, he he gets into the system, he fits, and he's probably on cruise control as far as knowing assignments, you know, midway through that sophomore season or so. Now, where is he making the biggest impact? Is it educating some of the newcomers? Where where are we seeing that most? I think for a guy who's done so much, and last season he led the team in interceptions. I mean, he has it. I mean, what was it? Um, the comeback win, I was heading into K-State, two meetings ago in Ames, he really keyed that comeback, you know, with turnovers and big plays. And um, he's just that, again, that guy, it, it might sound trite, but that guy who loves to play football, a guy who had one division one offer ball state and he was committed before Iowa state came in and offered. And now he's an elite linebacker, as you said, you know, reigning big 12 defensive player of the year. And, and a guy who's certainly going to have a chance, a guy that because of the way he plays, gets dinged up but manages to to to, to get himself ready every week. Um, he's going to have a chance to to play on Sundays as well. But I think it's that consistency that you see from him. Um, he might miss a tackle. When he does, he's not going to miss the next one. And he might be a, just a half step slow <clears throat> when he's dropped into coverage. Well, that's not going to happen the next time. And I think he is that example, as you said, <clears throat> excuse me, to some of the young guys, and they've got a good crop of young guys there. One who had to step in for another starter, a really good player, Orion Vance. Uh, Jerry Vaughn stepped in for him and and did really well, and is a big special teams player for them. But again, yeah, he, he is he is uh, a lead by example kind of guy, and a guy who just has a nose for the football. And again, for a defense that as good as it is, as stingy as it is, doesn't force a whole lot of turnovers. You know, they they Coach Campbell said earlier this season they think of three and outs, almost like a turnover. And that's fair, but there are teams that get a lot of three and outs that also force a lot of turnovers. But Mike Rose is one of the guys that, along with Aishim Young, 
<laughs> at the star slash safety uh, really knows for the football, really can make those big plays, game-changing sort of plays. And you, you, again, when you couple that with consistency with Mike Rose, which comes with experience, makes him a really formidable guy, obviously, uh, there at linebacker. He'll no doubt have his hands full this coming Saturday. We touched on it, having to slow down the likes of Deuce Vaughn. And and obviously what we know about Skylar Thompson, at least moving forward, we we don't expect the mobility maybe to be as big of a factor in his game. But uh, the way he chucked it around the yard against Oklahoma, we, we feel like he's probably going to be stressing defenses a little bit more and pass as well. So a tall task upcoming for, for both squads. And again, I'm sure Mike Rose and company will be, we, will be up to it now. Uh, wanted to bring it home here. Let's talk about what's your prediction, not only for this Saturday, but also how do you feel about Iowa State moving forward beyond this game? And do you feel like there's still that that next team after Oklahoma to make it to Arlington? I do. I'll, I'll take the second part first. I do, again, because we've seen it before. Last season, they won six of their last seven. Um, it, it, they went on some big runs, and it, it, oh, they they jokingly, or I guess affectionately, call it Brocktober around here in, in terms of the, the generally uh, very strong success they have in this month after, you know, you know, uneven September's, you could say. So I think they, if if they can eliminate, I mean, those are glaring mistakes. You're minus four in turnovers against Iowa, you lose by ten. You, you give up a special teams touchdown and basically a special teams field goal based on the poor punt, and and it, you can't which really couldn't be covered that allowed Tristan Dubner to to set up Baylor for a game, but what turned out to be a game winning field goal. Those are critical mistakes you can't make. Now they do tend to iron those out, or they overcome them uh, in October and November uh, over the last four seasons. So I do think they can be there and probably should be there, but. Uh, Again, if there's another game like Iowa where they're minus three, minus four, that's going to make it really tough in a, in a league where, as we've seen, sometimes teams are really good one week and not so great the next. Um, and if you, Coach Campbell always says it, and it is very much a cliche, but if you don't bring your A game, you're going to lose in this league uh, with one notable exception, really. So um, I, I believe that they're, I can't say that they will be there, but but I have, I, I'm more confident that they will be able to run off, you know, a good string of wins, especially if they can by the, the this tough one on Saturday night to, to put themselves in a position uh, to, again, play in a Big 12 title game. And let's not forget Oklahoma hasn't exactly, um, you know, set the world on fire. You know, you, you talk about strangeness, but... Spencer Rattler was being talked about as if he was the the second coming of Joe Montana and RG3 and Michael Vick and Brett Favre and everybody rolled into one, you know, Tom Brady even. Uh, that might be a bridge too far, but and he's been okay, but obviously he got replaced, and we'll see what happens moving forward. But the Sooners haven't lost. That's the key. So they got to be considered right there. But I think Oklahoma State's very much in the conversation. Um you know, Baylor is learning, I think, you know, K-State, if you guys get on the right foot, um, you, you know, could make a bit of a run. A lot of teams right there. So uh, it's always been the case, and Iowa State has managed to be getting that top three. I, I'm confident they can do that again, but they got to play a lot better football than they did, particularly in the two losses. 
and are you feeling like they'll come uh, come down to Manhattan and get one this uh, weekend? Oh yeah, prediction. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> I was there for the 2017 picked up flags game, which was yes. <laughs> interesting. Uh, especially uh, how many times was that screenshot of uh, the K State defender and Alan Lazard there, and, and all that, and uh, so. Again, it's been a house of horrors for the Cyclones. I know they played, I think, a couple in Arrowhead since 2004, but haven't won since then. I mean, that's that's a long time, uh, you know. And and then does one season necessarily affect next? It, it doesn't. But I do believe there is such a thing as being snake bit at certain places, and I I don't know how you can't quantify it, or it, but but I think there's something to it. So they're, they're going to have to play mistake free football because uh, I expect. Kansas State will have its best shot ready to go. And I know some of those guys really have a chip on their shoulder, especially after last season. Again, with the caveats, I know K-State was already banged up and depleted at that point. Um, so they, uh, it, it, with their best effort, I think they escape. But I, I certainly don't see anything like uh, uh, like last season. And, uh, you know, from, our, from my perspective of covering the Cyclones, knock on wood, they, they do – play mistake-free football, but uh, if they get to minus one, minus two in turnovers and they got to somehow make it up one way or another with as good as Kansas State is on special teams, especially kick return, um, that that is a fear. I, I think it's going to be a really tight game, and I think the Cyclones do find a way to prevail based on track record in recent years, just in seasons, not against Kansas State, especially on the road, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see it go the other way. I think it's a, a matchup of really hard-nosed teams that – as you said, play really good defense. And oftentimes when that's the case, special teams um, is a difference. And we've seen it be a difference maker for, for Kansas State on the positive side, and we've seen it make a, be a difference maker for Iowa State on the negative side. So that'll be the key to the game, uh, in my opinion. Should be a good one in Manhattan this Saturday. Again, 6.30 kickoff at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. I know fans excited to finally get a night game, a primetime slot. It seems like it's been forever since we've had one in Big 12 play, and no doubt this should be a good showcase game for uh, the Big 12. Uh, now, Rob, thank you again so much for, for your time and for your insight as well here. Uh, before I let you go here, where can our listeners check out your work? Um, we're at cyclonefanatic.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Rob W. Gray. I've got a book out with a co-author called Hanging with Winners about a broadcast executive and all his connections with uh, celebrities and TV news, TV sports people uh, and all that uh, as a side thing to, to plug uh, shamelessly here. But uh, generally at CycloneFanatic.com, that's uh, where you'll find all of our Cyclone coverage, including mine. A massive thank you again to Rob for giving us some of his time this week. Always entertaining to get a peek behind enemy lines. And don't forget to check out some of his work. Again, you can read him at cyclonefanatic.com. That's going to wrap things up here. Please, if you haven't had a chance to already, subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred app is. And if you have a few moments to do so, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review. You can also find us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. That's going to wrap things up for your midweek opponent preview. I will be back with a full cast of characters, Clint, Justin, and Alex, for the full podcast preview. That episode's going to be dropping into your feed later on this week. With all that said, we'll conclude it the way we always do. Cats, man. If you know, 
you know.